Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Allison Stanfield. And you run a business, which is called? Art Biz Success. And you've been doing this for quite some time. Like I was looking through your sort of CV and stuff. So you've been in and around the arts industry for going on 20 years now, I think. It was about what I saw. Yeah, but I worked in museums for 10 years before that. So we're talking three decades. Yeah. God. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on 25 myself. It's fine. <laughs> But so one one thing I'm always interested in is how people get into the creative industries in the first place. So like, was it, were your parents creative? Was it some teacher and experience? Like, how did you even get to this industry for yourself? Interesting. Uh, no, my parents are not creative at all. And, and they'll be the first ones. To, but dad always thinks I got it from him. He'll like do something like, I don't know, make a, um, draw something or, or find something that he did in sixth grade and said, you must have gotten it from me and so forth. But no, I did not grow up with that. I just like, I, I've always liked to be alone, right? I've always liked to be alone. So I, as a kid, I remember just being in my room and my mom said I used to play dress up by myself all the time. She didn't, uh, she didn't want, I didn't want her to play with me. So I was creative in my room. She says that, uh, she says my creativity comes from my elementary school teacher, that I, that she was a really good teacher. And I do remember I always did something different. Like the, ever, always something different to the assignment. I would put my own twist on it. But I, yeah, so I remember that a little bit. And my mom recognized, I had one of those moms, I still do, I'm really lucky, that uh, encouraged me and that signed me up for every art class outside of school that she could. And it, through high school, from elementary through high school. So I took a lot of extracurricular art also. But then I went to school and I was a painting major and I liked my art history classes better. So I went into art history. Where did you go to undergrad? Undergrad, I went to the universities of Wyoming and then graduated from Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma and grad school was University of Texas. Right, Austin, I think. Austin, mm -hmm. yep, okay. So leaving that, so then you had your, your art history major. So then how did you then sort of enter into the industry? So like, what was your first job? Because I volunteered at an art museum. I sat at the front desk and we had a pretty, I don't like to say mean things about people, but he was a pretty inept museum director and curator. And I ended up helping him write a lot of stuff and, he eventually got fired. Uh, one of my many directors that lost their jobs over 10 years. And then, uh, and I just was there. So that's how it happened. And sometimes it happens like that. Yeah. 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 As a general whole, my, the, the reason for this podcast is because again, I'm a teacher, I'm a practicing artist. I have my own issues with the existing art industry. And basically, like, I don't believe anybody knows all the answers, but everybody has some answers. So what I'm asking for is looking for with all of my guests is some, some 
answers to some things. So for you right now, because we're currently recording this while under quarantine, or at least I'm under quarantine. Yeah, Are you under quarantine? For sure. Okay. Yeah. So I'm interested to see sort of like what, how you have been hearing about or what you think it possibly is like ways to, you know, creative people come up with creative ways to make livings kind of things. And we're being forced into a time of change and there's going to be dramatic changes. And so like, what are some things that have been sort of coming up to you about shifts in the industry or different techniques? Like, should mm. we be, should we sp be spending more time on creating online content, creating, you know, webinars and all this kind of stuff? Like what, what's something that you're hearing about the possibilities of, of creative outcomes from this uh, pandemic? Well, I think I'd like to start with a higher view. And that is that, you mentioned the industry. I believe, well, I know there's more than one art world. There are multiple different markets. And when people talk about the art market, they usually talk about the auction market, the high-end gallery. They, they talk about that level. The Most stuff that makes press, basically. Yeah, exactly. Most of my clients are not in that arena and will never be. But there are, a lot of them are making a really good living in the other art world. So you got the art festivals, you have the local galleries and local venues, you have social media, you have artists who are, by the way, ahead of the curve of many of our institutions and galleries and retail spaces in their in how they get their work out there. And so they've been doing this for a long time so so i have to preface everything with that that there are that we're talking about different levels right here not actually levels isn't the right word because that implies one's higher than the other uh, what i know and we're we're like three weeks into quarantine right now at the time of this recording and what i know is that my clients are still selling art that's and good. they're selling them through the, very few are, I don't know anyone that's really pushing their self-promotion right now. It just doesn't feel right. And, and I agree with that. We're not doing that either, but art is still selling. There are still people, there's still plenty of people with jobs and money and looking at walls that they want to, they want to look at something different or there's their outdoor spaces. They want to spiff up without, with outdoor sculpture, whatever it is. So there, you know, it's not like, it's not like it was two months ago, but it is right. still happening. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to redecorate by the time this is over. <laughs> right, right. I just wrote a post about changing your view and how important it was. If you're looking at the same thing all the time to change it up a little. The thing I'm encouraging artists to do, here's the thing, Matthew. Nobody wants to spend more time online right now. Every like I am so I use I've been using Zoom for five years and the the best thing to come out of this for me right now is that now all my clients know how to use Zoom better than they did before. I don't have to explain as much because they're using it more. But I don't want to use it anymore. Like I'm we've added extra calls so that we can be more supportive to clients and and so forth. But 
I relish the time I'm looking right now across the room at our jigsaw puzzle. Like that's just, that's just the outlet right now. I just want to get offline. I just want to listen to my spa channel music and Zen out. So I'm actually, you know, I'm okay if you want to spend more time online, but there's a lot of crap out there right now. And I am actually encouraging my clients to be, really massaging their, as they should have been all along, their personal relationships with people. Mm -hmm. So this is something that, like, I just, this has nothing to do with art, but there's someone, in, I belong to a co-working space that I go into from time to time. And I reached out to someone that's a friend there that I hadn't talked to through this whole thing. And I said, how are you doing? She goes, oh my God, you're message couldn't come at a better time. I was just sitting here crying. And so there are people out there, especially people who are living by themselves, people whose businesses, gallerists, business, they must be reeling right now. I mean, they are reeling right now. And there are people that we have relationships with that are struggling. And now is a great time to show them that we care. And not in a salesy way, but as we should have been doing all along in a very personal, I care about you way. And now is a great time to do that, whether it's an email, whether it's text, whether you pick up the phone, God forbid, whether you send something in the mail, which I always encourage and which still can be safe. Now is just a great time to direct messages on social media to those people. Reach out and tell your gallerist that you're thinking about them and you know they're struggling. I mean, that's just, it's a great time to do that. Well, I mean, that brings up a, a really poignant thing that I keep questioning. And I keep, I, I literally have actually asked this of many people on the podcast is how do you nurture the relationships that you build? Like, I am wickedly good. Like, I can make new friends, no problem. I can walk in a room and meet everybody and know their life story and all that. But it's that difficult nature of like keeping those strong relationships and nurturing them and growing them. I find that very difficult. And I know many people who find that very difficult to do. I don't like the idea of sending out email newsletters and all this, like, cause like, I feel like I'm already annoyed enough by the things I receive. I don't want to be a participant in that. So it's sort of like, how do you be professional enough, uh, but not too professional? And how do you be friendly enough without being too friendly? So like that little sweet spot in the middle where mm -hmm. it's really, you know, nurtured, good, strong relationship with a curator, a gallerist, a collector, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Kind of think you answered your own question in there, but uh, <laughs> kind of, I mean, if you would have taken it just one step further, we have, a, I actually teach this in my collector relationship essentials, if I could do a product placement there for a second. But this, Absolutely. Is, this is something that it actually, I learned when I worked at, I worked for a U.S. Senator in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Senate in the 80s. And he was brilliant at this. And it comes from really just caring about the people that you meet. And, and sometimes you have to remind yourself. So don't discount the newsletter because some people sign up for that because they really want to know what you're doing in the studio. So you can't discount that. But when it comes to personal relationships, the people that can actually move the needle on your art career, 
that's a one-on-one -on -one thing, right? That is one-on-one -on -one relationship. So why not have some tools, uh, you know, just tools at your fingertips for that? Maybe it's reminders. Maybe it's I'm going to touch to virtually five people today or or 10 people this week or whatever it is and write out those people that you're thinking about. Maybe it's, here's something else. Like if you see their name, go to their their social media, send them a direct message, tell them you just saw something about them and you know, blah, blah, blah. But have these tools and if you want to spreadsheet it, you can like, um, Gary, I did this on this date and, you know, I haven't, oh, no, I haven't talked to him in three months. I need to, I need to reach out again and maybe just review that spreadsheet all the time. I love a spreadsheet. But you it love feels a good spreadsheet. I do. Well, I mean, it's funny because like I'm, a, I'm realizing that maybe I'm a little bit OCD because, mm. <laughs> because I do love a list, an organization, yeah. a, the ability to say done, 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 yeah. right? You know, check it off. Like, I really do love that stuff. I mean, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe my memory's going, I don't know. But, but I mean, but, but the point is, is like trying to have something that's a physical reminder of, mm -hmm. of tasks that need to be done, I find very helpful for me versus just yeah. like, hey, maybe I should do that kind of in my mind. Um, so, yeah, I love a spreadsheet, well, but I'm also looking. I, I wish, I wish, I so wish that in the arts world, there were some quantifiable, like, do this, do this, do this, you gain success. There, you know, nice formula. <laughs> like, wouldn't that just be mad, like, just magnificent? But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. No. I if know. you read the, the biography of any artist or their or their resume or their, bio, you know, their about page, they all got there a different way. I know, but I want that. I want something. I don't need the whole path laid out for me, but just a, a few touching points over a career would be nice. Well, okay. So I can guarantee that one-on-one -on -one connections will move the needle, needle faster than sending out thousands of emails. Agreed. Yes. So anything that you can do personal and uh, just to actually think that to give you some leeway here, I think that women are much better at it than men are. I would agree with that, yes. Yeah, yeah. But what I encourage you to think about is do how much do you care about these people? And it, you don't care about everyone equally, right? But in, if you want a relationship with them, rather than just wanting something out of them, then you you need to make that personal connection. And right, right. now is just like, how the hell are you doing? That's all you need to say. I mean, I have clients that bake cookies for the, their gallerists. If a gallery is open, that is anything, any kind of food they love because they can't get out of the gallery, right? So this is something that you can do when the gallery is open, but right now we can't do that. You could send them food, but... They don't need it as much in the get well, who knows? So they they may not be in the gallery themselves. Exactly. But they right, right. You probably don't have their home address right now. So the 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 emails, the direct messages, the phone calls is probably the way to go right now hmm. for for most people. 
Right. Okay. So you have like, literally you have the skill set, and like, if I had the money, I would sign up for all of your little, your, your workshops and all this kind of stuff. But of course I'm a starving artist. I don't have all that money, but you have all the knowledge I desire, I believe. And so let's take just like one element. So like right now, online, social media, all this kind of stuff, super important. But like, I keep hearing stories, and I'm putting this in air quotes, stories of people selling through Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm. But then I hear the opposite of people that like use Facebook, Instagram, Saatchi art and all these other online places and have no sales. Mm -hmm. So like, what is your experience slash knowledge on those sort of platforms for selling these days? Plenty of people are selling on those platforms. Most, you know what? I shouldn't even say, I don't even know. I haven't seen a study. I don't a know. Spreadsheet. The yeah. I haven't seen the spreadsheet of where they were before they started those platforms, what they have in addition to those platforms. Are they using an, an email list also? I and mean, there's all sorts of factors that go into this, but here's what I know. I was going to, I was about to say it can't hurt, but it really can hurt if you screw it up. <laughs> but um, The people that follow you on social media, here's what I want to say about that. People that follow you on social media, follow you because of the art you do. They follow you because you're an artist. So if you are not being an artist on social media, you are not living your brand and you're not helping your sales, right? So if you're posting, I don't discourage pet photos. I, I just I'm post, posted a picture of the teddy bear in my window because kids, I, do you know about bear hunts? So kids are on bear hunts. The kids that walk through the neighborhoods now, they people are putting bears in their windows and stuff so that people can um, see that, so the kids can count bears while they're okay. stuck at home. And so I put, I, I have a panda bear in my window right now and, and I'll post that, but it's, it's related to something I want to share. It's related to our views and changing our views and all that stuff. But if you're constantly posting pictures of your grandkids and I go to your Instagram feed and all I see are snotty notes kids <laughs> no even even not snotty notes kids even good good kids then i'm probably going to unfollow you right I'm probably not going to think you're serious with your art and it's just there's nothing wrong with that it's just you're not doing yourself good as a professional well yeah i mean you should have like a personal account and a business account maybe kind of thing separate those but who things. has time for that <laughs> You do. Okay. <laughs> I'm on quarantine. I have lots of time. I don't get that. I don't get that. I'm, I've have a lot less time than I did before that, but okay. Well, that's because everybody knows you're now available. Like so you can't, you can't give the excuse of no, I'm sorry. I'm out traveling or busy <laughs> because we all know you're home. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Oh, no, don't kid yourself. I'm actually physically busier doing more things yeah. because the one thing that like I've taken as this, which is, again, sort of like creative people, when they have these kinds of opportunities, come up with, have time and space to come up with sort of 
bigger ideas, better ideas, more ideas. Like I've gotten far more creative because of the limitations that I'm under under the quarantine than mm. when I'm not under the limitations when I could literally do anything, yeah, be anywhere, yeah. talk to anybody. So the, sometimes limitations actually enforce creativity. That is that is actually a proven fact that that happens. But here's the other thing that I know, and I can't speak to this because I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, I just, I just don't know it, but I have to bring it up is that creative people are often the most sensitive people. And a lot of them right now are filled with anxiety, with fear, with depression. A lot of my clients have kids at home and that is not helping their creativity right now. Or and anxiety or fear. Yeah, yeah. I talked to a client yesterday who, or the day before, who has a, the taser running together, <laughs> who has a, is raising her grandchild in sixth grade and he has ADHD. And so, so she has to, you know, help him with his work. It's really hard for her to do work in the studio and that's what feeds her soul. And so she's not being extra creative right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I ran into the problem, like here in the Czech Republic, they shut down international shipments. Yeah. So I can't order art supplies from outside the country. So yeah. I've run out of art supplies. So... <laughs> So you use up the ones you have. Uh, and you get... Already used them up. Oh, already wow. Got them. So, oh, wow. I've yeah. never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. but again, it, it forces more creative yeah. outlets. So like you think, say, like, what I did was I just said, okay, I'm all out of those supplies, but what other supplies do I have in the studio and what else can I make? You know, yeah. maybe it has nothing to do with what I was working on, but it keeps me busy and keeps me being creative. And that's really what's important for creative right. It's, it's really important. And for my clients that have children, I really encourage, I, I do have one client who's fantastic her ki with her kid. He is now in the studio with her and is just really digging this, you know, this studio time with his mom. And so that's a way for them to get closer and for her to get a little work done in there. I feel like you are literally like the wealth of all knowledge I desire. So give me some, <laughs> something that you always sort of say like, okay, people don't think about this. This is something that people don't talk about. That's important in a creative career. God, where to begin? We, you know, one of those things is the, is the value of relationships and People just think if they scream loud enough that someone's going to hear them. And I've already, I've already talked about that, but that would be probably number one on my list. Oh yeah. The arts world is literally, I mean, not in a snobby way, but it's literally who, who, you know, like, so yeah, but everything is that way. Everything oh, yeah. is that way. The, the doctors rely on referrals. The cafes rely on good Yelp reviews. And, and that means that they know their customers. And so it's all, it's all that way. What do the question again is what do people not think about? Well, cause I do this podcast. So I talk to a lot of people and I've talked about a lot of topics. So I'm sort of wondering 
not having listened to my podcast, it's fine. That what topics are topics that people don't talk about that you have noticed through your, you know, coaching and career and counseling and stuff like that, that people don't seem to pay enough attention to that they should pay more attention to. Okay. I'll give you two of them. I just had to think about my classes and why I teach my, the classes that I do. The first one is money. <laughs> so there's a bunch of, I had two emails this morning actually with artist relief content in them. So, so links for artist grants and so forth right now. But here's the thing. You're not going to get a grant if you haven't been keeping your finances separately. If you haven't been actually trying to make money and making money and can show a loss. I mean, there's, if you are not, if you haven't been thinking about these things, well, I don't know what the grants say, but I just assume that you're going to have to show some kind of a loss in a situation when you're asking for money. And if that's not all straight, then uh, you're, you're going to be hurting right now. So you have to get your finances in order. You have to know where the money's coming from, all different directions where it's coming from, and be able to project, not with certainty, but just, okay, I'm going to go, I, I have a goal of making this, and this is how I'm going to do it. Like, what are the actions that I'm going to take to get me there? Okay. I'm going to ask the, like a very, very pedantic little tiny thing. Would you recommend people to have separate bank accounts for art? So like, so that, like for buying yes. art supplies and then money that comes in versus Absolutely. like- Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the reasons, not just for the sake of professionalism and tracking, but also I had a client whose spouse, she was his second wife. But he, but when he passed, her stepchildren contested everything. And because her finances were tied up with the personal finances, she lost so much. Hmm. She lost so much of her art income because they were tied up with the personal. And that's what was counting in the estate. I don't know the particulars of that. Okay, wait, I want to take it even further. Should artists, so we're talking your US base, so we're talking US stuff, but okay. I think this translates everywhere. Should artists make themselves into companies or should they stay sort of freelancers? Like, so you know, that's something I'm not going to answer. I actually suggest that artists talk with their fine, with their CPA about that or something because I it's the situation's very different for every person. Well, it's also different state by state, I would imagine as well. Exactly. I for for my artists who teach and who have services and who travel, I really worry about their liability. And so in that respect, they probably don't you know, want to have a different level than being a sole proprietor. They want some kind of liability coverage for that. And so, but, but business structure advice is not something I'm comfortable with generalizing. No problem. Moving on. So. Yeah. So the other thing that artists often don't think about, and this comes from my work as a museum curator and educator, and even when I was a curator, I was educating, but is language. Great. 
Love it. Yes. Go. <laughs> I, this is a this is a pet peeve topic of mine as well because most visual artists go into the visual arts because we're bad writers basically and yet now and this is new you know in the past 20 years or so it's become exponentially more important for us to be able to eloquently express the concepts the ideas uh, the pitch the marketing the public relations whatever it is about our artwork more so now than you know, ever in the past. So is it legitimate to hire a writer to write our things for us? Or do we have to write everything ourselves? It's legitimate to hire someone to help you massage your writing. But the but you don't want someone making up shit for you, right? Oh, so you I just say have that to make on this up. podcast. Yeah, you can curse all you want. Yeah. So I make up shit instead of having somebody else make up shit. Well, here's the thing. I walk artists through a process that helps them come up with language for their art. And I believe that, here's what I know from working in the art museum, is that words can connect people to art because people do not have a visual education. I'll bet 99% of people are not taught how to look at pictures and how to look at composition and colors and weight and, and narrative and all those things. And so uh, if you aren't comfortable doing that, how do you expect other people to do it? And so I know from working in the art museum, from training docents, from talking to people that walk through our galleries, that I can say a sentence that engages someone with work that they would have just walked by previously. And so sometimes we need words to connect with people. And I would rather you come up with the words and get someone to massage you, but there are, there are um, exercises that you can do. Um, some are really simple to come up with the words, but you could also, if you don't like to write, speak into your voice recorder. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of talking it out basically. Cause like yeah. the more you say things out loud, sometimes you're suddenly like, did I say, why did I use that word? <laughs> like, that's not what I meant, but wait, right. and then you rethink it. So like, I'm a huge fan of talking things out. Like I've sat with friends. I sat with one friend of mine for like three hours where he literally just kept talking things out. And anytime there was a pause, I would just turn to him and say, why? Mm -hmm. And then he would right. just keep going and going until right. he figured it out for himself because I didn't know what he was trying to achieve, but I was just there to support him and let him talk it out. Yeah. Same thing. You could do the same thing with yourself. You say a sentence and then you go, why? Or what more? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's, we just need, we need those words. And for artists who are listening, who don't have that, who struggle, you know what I'm talking about. You know that this is a struggle and, and I get it. Okay, within that struggle, because I love this topic, the nature of like writing, so let's just focus on maybe let's say artist statements. Okay. Okay, so like I read artist statements as a portfolio ah! of you. <laughs> what? You said I read artist statements and I was expre expressing empathy with you. Oh, they're atrocious. They're absolutely horrible. Like I read hundreds of them a week and there are so many wrong ways. And I, I'm always, I, it's easy to know when they did it wrong, 
but like this when they do it right it seems so natural that i can't even figure out what the mm. thing they did that was so beautiful was mm. so like what's that you know how is the you know because like in the old days it was like you know throw a, a philosophy in there maybe a latin <laughs> phrase right. like all this kind of pompous arrogant crap yeah. And now it's it's much more um, story of an emotive mm -hmm. and narrative and, and and expressions instead of like high philosophical concepts. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you get to that point of like really finding that great thing to put into an artist statement to make it eloquent? First of all, there's so much I have to say on this. I don't know where to start. But first of all, I will say that I believe. I don't believe in one artist statement. I believe in multiple artist statements because often when an artist tries to put everything in one statement, they end up saying nothing. Like it, if they try to for, to generalize and have it apply to all the work. Okay, wait. So let me get this clear. So like, let's say I have a body of work or I'm applying for a grant or a residency or whatever. You're saying that like literally like about one body of work, like I would put one artist statement, let's say on my website and maybe a different artist statement in a grant request or and a no, different- No, that's not what okay. I'm saying. Okay. So you have, you have a statement for the body of the work. And if the body of work is cohesive, you will have no problem coming up. Well, you shouldn't have any problem coming up with a, an artist statement for that body of work, but you might need another artist statement for another body of work or you need an artist statement for the individual pieces within that work. And so think of, I like to think about them as uh, museum labels. So when you go into an art museum, there's usually an introductory text that introduces you to the body of work, but then there's the individual labels that tell you a little bit more about that piece. And so, and this is good for online because you have the space and you don't you know don't just have the space but you have the uh, but it's good for your seo also to have more words up there if they're the right words so there's that and now what were we talking about before that vocabulary oh you wanted to know okay where i was going to go this may or may not answer the question that we started with i believe that strongly and this again comes from my museum background that the words you use, this is my, this is my litmus test for a body of work. The words you use should compel people to look back at the art. If they're just words on a paper, then they don't do any good. If people are just reading and not, you know, not looking at the work, they're no good. So that when I was writing labels at the museum, that was always my goal. How am I going to get people to engage with this artwork? Hmm. And I think that might be what is why you're liking some artist statements better than others. No, that makes sense. I mean, because I can think through going through museums and like, I'll see a piece and I like the piece. I read the little statement next to it. And it's like, okay and i walk on but other ones would be like oh and be sure and you know his use of this color or the way the technique of this you know draws your eye here and then i would take a second look at yeah. it and be like oh yeah. oh you're right yeah that and it would, it would increase that engagement right. in a way that if i hadn't read that text i probably would not have engaged in the work right well and you can do it with it, you can do it a bad way you can do it by being very didactic 
right? You can do it by by saying, look in the upper left, you will see blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and no, and no. you don't, you, that's what the docent does. That's, you know, that's what you do when you're talking with people one-on-one. -on -one. You don't necessarily do that in your statement, but you can point out details and a particular brushstroke or finishing composition, color usage, exactly. like the, you know, or emotive expression, like things that are trying to be expressed through the things that may not be obvious. Swirling fabric representing, you know, whatever. Yeah. Just yeah. don't use Latin phrases or <laughs> Kant or Freud or any of that. Like, no, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Kierkegaard. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, a big sure. one for us. No, yeah. What's the, what's the, uh, uh, Kafka? Kafka. No, no, Kafka. <laughs> Kafka-esque. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that was a big one in my time. Yes. And, and no, no, um, uh, you know, Frida Kahlo. Yeah. I mean, it's all, okay. I'll go in a little further with that because like I get a lot of people and I also wonder about this myself, like is mentioning an appreciation or a, a, a you're already shaking your head. I'm already okay. shaking my head. Don't yeah. do it. Okay. So, I know so what you're basically, gonna say. yeah, don't mention any influences don't of mention your art. Your influences. Okay. When you can't, here's the thing. The reason when you do that, you immediate, unless the work is about that person, that's really different, right? Unless it is, um, unless you have built on, uh, or, you know, it's very obvious, then you yeah, have Unless to you are the it. apprentice of that person and are therefore well, building on them. Not just that, but unless you're like quoting that person's work in your work or you're appropriating it somehow in your work, then you probably need to mention it. But otherwise what it does is it brings up an instant comparison with that person and then that person whose name is more recognizable i start thinking about that person and and instead of you and so see and i go some sometimes i go the opposite way where like if i'm reading a statement and they don't mention some influence that is very obvious i'm like i'm like do they even know that they look very similar to this person's artwork like are interesting. they interesting Interesting. Yeah. Because I know people like that have been, you know, I did portfolio reviews for them and like their work is extremely similar to existing artists. And I say, Oh, do you know this artist? And they're like, no, I've never heard of him. And I'm like, oh. well, if it, that's, that is, yeah, that's a little, that's a little different. And um, anyway, I, I just think that it, it's like when you, some people start their artist statements with quotes by someone else. And the whole purpose of, don't do that. The whole purpose of the statement is it's your words. But that's what I was taught. When I was in art school, they used to say, start with like a, qu a famous quote or a Latin quotation just to say, give yourself a, that's an That's because that's what your English teachers taught you. They, the English teachers taught that. And then the people, the artists that were teaching artist statements, just that's the only way they learned how to write. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's that has evolved, though. It has now gotten a bit more because, like, some of the ones that I've been reading recently that I think are incredibly compelling have a a strength of sort of authenticity and originality mm -hmm. that's sort of based in their life. So, like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm experiencing th the mind of the artist through the work because right. they are also somehow eloquently explaining it in text. Um, yeah. to a way that engages me in a different way than, you know, 25 years ago did. 
Yeah, the narrative and that happened. I, actually, I'm thinking of one of my clients and often biography doesn't come into an artist statement, but she had a debilitating car wreck at 22 and so much of her work comes out of the confinement, ironically, that she, uh, ironically, because of the situation that we're in with in quarantine right now, but that she experienced at that time. And so telling that story is of service to everyone looking at her work, right? And it's so, I, I, it's one of the longest artist statements that I love. Usually mm -hmm. art, long artist statements are loaded with fluff. I just read this beautiful it just reads beautifully okay within that so you say like there's a certain length that you like like so give me what's a, a standardized idea of a good length of an artist statement one paragraph one paragraph here's here's the reason this is the only reason if you have a good if you can keep my interest and keep me reading for two or three paragraphs i'm fine with that but most artist statements, if they do three paragraphs, they're redundant. They say the same thing, which is pretty much nothing for three paragraphs. And so why not just say it in one and let me get on with things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife works in accounting and anytime I try and read her an artist statement or my artist statement, she just ends with, that's just such bullshit. And I'm like, yes, but it's the profession. It's the task of us to, to write eloquent bullshit. Like that's what we have to do. <laughs> no, nobody has time for that anymore. Well, but, but the idea that it just has to be one paragraph, I think is a nice thing. Cause like, I mean, I remember when I did them, you know, 30 years ago when I was in school, they were saying three paragraphs to a page, the sort of was the length to shoot for. So the fact that it's shortening down to a, a short suite, you know, grab your attention, one paragraph is a nice idea. I'd like to quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but Henri Matisse, who said, all that is not useful in a picture is detrimental. And I think the same is true of an artist statement. All that is not useful is detrimental. I say that to photographers all the time because they always <laughs> clutter the images up with just oh, yeah. stuff that's not useful. So, yes. <laughs> I would say the biggest thing that people want to know about is sort of how to approach whoever they need. So whether that's a practicing artist that needs a curator or a gallerist or a whatever, or, or even approaching an institution, what's the, because the, the reason why I'm saying sort of like what's the way to do it is because you seem to be, working with the contemporary market and industry you know so like my knowledge and everything is old and mm. i am out of date and i and i'm trying to find out how it's how, how it's working now so mm. what's what's the what are some of the the effective ways of approaching the um the people the connections that are necessary for visual artists so i'm going to go back to the relationship thing of course. Relationships, relationships, relationships. It's always better to approach someone if they already know who you are. Of course. Right? So the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that artists make when they approach someone for, say, a show or gallery representation is it's the first time that person's ever heard of them. So, so stop being impatient and recognize that the relationship is critical and you've got to build it and nurture it 
usually over years, I'm sorry to say, whether it's on LinkedIn, sending postcards, showing up, show up for them at their events, even if they're virtual right now, but show them and comment on their social media posts, be a presence in their world before you ask for something. I mean, just kind of, it just kind of makes sense. I mean, can you imagine like me? I don't even, I can't even come up with a good example. I don't know, asking my neighbor that I've never talked to, who doesn't know who I am, if they would watch my cat for the weekend. Right. I, I totally yeah. get it. I mean, the, but yeah, artists have this weird sense of entitlement. Like they feel like mm. I've made great stuff and people should just appreciate it. Even if they don't know me, it's it, the quality of my stuff is so good. Like you should want to show me and it doesn't work like that. And I, I will say that's not always the case. I work with a lot of artists who have a weird lack of confidence in what they're doing. So, and I wouldn't even call it weird, but it's extreme lack of confidence in what they're doing. So not everyone operates that way, but some of them do. And I have met them more power to them. <laughs> For those who are listening, he just pointed to himself. <laughs> I, did, I did indeed. At, at a time in my career, I made the mistake of being overly arrogant about my work and my capabilities. And through my last like moves and career changes and creating this podcast and all these conversations, I have realized just how poorly uh, um, my arrogance served my career. Uh, like, it, it really it, damaged it in, in great ways that are still being felt to this day. That is a very vulnerable thing to say and admit. I would also, um, the title of your show is The Wise Fool. I would also say that you have uh, matured and prob those of us who have matured have learned some, you know, if, if we really are mature, we have learned lessons along the way that, uh, that we listen to and adapt to. Yeah. Well, it took me a while, but I figured it out. <laughs> so yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've I all mean, done those things. Yeah. It, it's, it's really hard sometimes. Cause like when you start getting praise and you start getting accolades and whatever, it's, it's very important to keep the, keep that ego in check because yeah. it can easily get out of hand and, um, end up being to your detriment. Cause you know, some other guests have also often talked about things like, basically it comes down to who wants to work with an ass. Like yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to work with somebody that you don't like. And so. Oh my God, these days word travels so fast. It's kind of like if you undersell your galleries, like if you sell out of your house at a discount or something and you have a contract with your gallery, pretty much all the other galleries are going to know about that in the not too distant future. So yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. People think that the art market is in the art industry, whatever word you want to put to it, art industry, art world, art market, whatever. I, to me, they're all the same. People think it's global and that it's so big and it's so this, and, and it's really not. Like I find that it's a it's a series of small markets that through Venn diagrams basically start overlapping. Yep, yep. That's it. So like it's it, you can't hide your bad um, habits, <laughs> bad behavior, <laughs> your bad behavior yeah. for too yeah. long. Um, sooner yeah. or later, you're going to bite the wrong person, and it's yeah. not. And I mean, it's your your entire 
career is based on your reputation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reputation you have for the work, how strong is the work and the reputation you have as uh, for, for the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Or as a teacher, like, I mean, if you want to be a workshop teacher or an academic teacher, like regardless of the, your skills and your abilities, if you're just not fun to work with, people are going to know and they're not going to want to hire you. Yeah. I have a real life story about that when, and, and he's passed. I don't like to talk poorly about people who have passed, but I think it's, it's instructive. So, um, Maybe I just won't use his name. Um, there was an artist who he had work in, he, he has work in major museums throughout the world. And that he was very bitter that this one artist who has had more success than him had, stole his ideas. And I know this because I spent a day or more with him. And I also know we started to do a show for him at the museum. And I also know what a pain in the ass he was to work with. And I, the more I thought about it over the years, cause I was, cause I really, he was from my home state. I really wanted him to get the recognition, more recognition um, that he deserved. And I came to the conclusion that people just didn't want to work with him. He was, he was love. He was nice to me and, you know, really had trust in me, even though I was really young and green, perhaps because no one else was listening to him. Perhaps because he thought he could control you. Maybe that too. But I think, you know, I, I look back in that and think, yeah, what a tragedy. I think it was your personality. Well, and that's, you know, that's one of those things too, is like, being a great these days so again this is sort of a contemporary thing i think is that like these days being a great artist making beautiful whatever performance art visual arts whatever it is is almost not enough like you, you mm. because, because of social media and the interconnectedness and the fact that even even if you're not active on social media well somebody else has a cell phone and can see you being an ass and make a recording of it and right. like so your reputation can always be influenced for the better or for the worse, mm-hmm. depending on how you are regardless. Like, so like you, you have to be not just a great artist, but you also have to be to a certain extent, like a good person. You have to be enjoyable to work yeah. with and yeah. fun to talk to whatever. There are so many artists out there. There are so many people trying to sell their work, trying to get exhibitions that, um, and so many talented ones who are deserving that there have to be other things at play. Right. So it's like, it's, it's like when two, two people who are both valedictorians apply to college together. It's not about being the, the be- having the best grades or in this case, like the best artwork. It's about the other things. It's what else right. do you have to offer? What tips the scale? Just- yeah. So, it's yeah. The, you know, these days it's not just being a great artist, but it's being a great something else. Like whatever that is, I don't know. Being organized, being professional, calling people back, reaching out, staying in touch, all those things. Some of the things my clients have said to me is that they're gallerist. And they say this to me because 
it happened as a result of working with me. So I, I'm so happy to hear this. Their gallerist or their um, exhibition venue said, you are the most professional artist I've ever worked with. And that is such a, it's a compliment to them. And it made me sure feel really good because, because they had their shit together. Yeah, it's funny. Like I moved here to the Czech Republic. No knock on the Czech Republic with this, but I started uh, taking my work around, and I work off of the sort of U.S. professional standards. So, mm -hmm. like, I have works on paper, and I have a certificate of authenticity with hologram stickers, with signatures, with all the kind of stuff all done. And I present that, and they're like, "Oh my god, I've never seen such a professional setup!" Uh. Like, you know, and like, I share my Excel spreadsheet with all the numbers and the organizations and the locations of where all the pieces are, and they're all like, oh, "We've never seen somebody yeah. this organized." That's that's a scale tipper. <laughs> that is a scale tipper for sure. Yeah. But it it took me 20 years in the industry to realize that like putting that time and effort mm -hmm. on the back end, you know, like so this is not something that, you know, one for one. I put in the time doing these like certificate of authenticities and getting these like hologram stickers and doing all this stuff. That's not going to directly make me money but it's going to make it so I can get a better connection because I'm going to look more professional and therefore I'll then get a better opportunity, which would then lead to some money. It differentiates you from other artists too. Like they, they've seen what comes through and they're like, Oh, this guy's different. This guy's stepping it up a notch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's they're more the likely thing. to remember you. Well, that's the thing is like, there's a quote that's, uh, these days that said like, there's more practicing artists in New York city than there were in the entire Renaissance period. You know, so like there's the sheer volume of people in the world making creative things necessitates finding a unique thing to make you stand out above the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. When you want to make a reputation, when you want to make a living from it, when you want it to be your legacy. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. It is my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Mm -hmm.